Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. ever actually like listened to slow ride by fog hat in its entirety yeah actually i have a few times uh yes why do you ask so i was on a bus ride just had my uh you know phone on shuffle going through everything i know we've joked about fog hat before for various reasons but i guess it's one of those songs that you just you hear the intro of it. It's so famous. Yes. That you hear the intro, you're like, oh, yeah, this song is playing. But it's always playing in a bar or on the radio. And you never really think about it. Maybe you skip it when it comes on because you're like, I'm not in the mood. Right. But I actually sat there and listened to it. <laughs> and I didn't realize it's eight minutes long <laughs> it's a long so it's an endurance piece for sure yeah what the hell I like uh, how was this a radio hit that's a really good question actually i i don't know i mean because th- th- yeah because the intro is really really catchy yeah for sure the, the chorus very catchy but then it has that thing that a lot of 70s songs have where they're like well we don't know what we're doing in this middle part. Yeah. So we're going to have like some bongos and kind of a uh, a percussion solo. Um, like you, you hear that a lot in Joe Walsh songs, right? Like right, the, right. The middle part of Funk 49 by Joe Walsh and uh, James Gang, you know, is just them like howling and, you know, <laughs> hitting a bunch of bongos. Right. In right, an otherwise right. like very catchy uh, pop blues rock song. For sure. Yeah, it is. It is kind of weird that they do that. Like for something like Foghat specifically. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're not, it's not like I'm listening to like Velvet Underground and someone's just going crazy mm-hmm. on a violin and it's like ear piercing, but it's kind of like. You're kind of like, mm-hmm. all right, like I get what they're doing. You know, it's it's experimental. It's under it's underground. Yeah, because they're like, artists. Yeah, they're art. They're, they're artists. artists. They they just did a bunch of hard drugs and now they're gonna experiment with it. <laughs> and it's fine. It's the time. It was a part of the time. But like, I don't expect that out of a fog hat song. I expect that out of Freebird. And then I feel like everybody copied that format to make this like absurdly long song mm-hmm. that everybody will then yell. But mm-hmm. you know, anytime I hear fog hat though, did I ever tell you how that's my first concert I ever saw by accident? No. Oh man, I guess this is probably a time to do that. I um when I was younger, <laughs> I I never went. My dad doesn't really like live music, so we never really went to concerts that much. It wasn't like our thing. Mm-hmm. So I as I was getting into music cuz I grew up in classic rock, um we heard a lot of noise coming from my neighborhood like a few houses down and we're like, "What is that?" And so we go on a walk to check this out as you do. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there's a massive stage. 
and uh, Fog Hat's playing because because our neighbor won the 102.9 MGK radio show game or whatever where you would win tickets for Fog Hat to come play in your neighborhood and they won and they showed up and they built a stage in their front lawn and the guy who won got to play their drums and do a solo and it was crazy and all the that was you realize that was the greatest day of that guy's life oh yeah no I he was the main character for sure I I have to say yeah it's someone's very specific fantasy honestly yeah I guess that person you're totally right like main character syndrome like it's that that sounds like a part in the movie. That's that's Ferris Bueller stealing the show at yes. um you yeah. know and singing uh, uh Twist and Shout at the parade like <laughs> or um at the end of the cinematic classic Rat Race where they <laughs> discover they are on stage with Smash Mouth and yes. start singing All Star. It, it is. It was kind of like that. It was this like cinematic moment, and it was also just like wild to me because I was. I mean. You know, you're watching a bunch of the, like, seemingly regular adults of the neighborhood who all have kids or older kids, and then they're, like, back in their, you know, younger days listening to Foghat and classic rock and, like, partying. Mm-hmm, Somebody was, like, mm-hmm. wearing a bandana, chugging a beer, swinging a t-shirt oh, yeah. in the air, and you're like, this is... It, it felt like a South Park episode mixed with this, like, watching a Ferris yeah. Bueller scene. It was kind of immaculate. So... I, I, it was kind of weird because I went from that to like of Monsters mm-hmm. of Men to Neutral Milk Hotel. So oh. I guess classify that as a series right. of big concerts I went to. But um, you've lived many lives <laughs> many in your lives. short time on Earth. I really have. It's very true. But you, also, you could have been very different types of of people. I could have. It's a good thing I I, I listen to a <laughs> absurdly crazy range of music. My Spotify Wrapped is always insane. Like it's like, oh, you listen right. to um, you know, Modest Mouse as well as uh, okay, Jogging House, some ambient music. Oh, what's that? We got Mongolian throat singing version five of some obscure artist okay it's weird you listen to it 20 times like it's like it's just everywhere but i think that's like how i've always been is interested in sound Mm -hmm, quality mm -hmm. and music and experiments i've never really been somebody that's just like i only like this genre and i will never right i good music died in the 80s it was over we never got any good rock and roll. And I'm like, I don't, Ugh. it's just, all yeah, right. Like that, that, that movie rock of ages. That <laughs> yeah. was about my life. <laughs> I, I think you and I are maybe a certain brand of insufferable people. That's fair. Um, That's just, fair. just as artists. But yeah. <laughs> I think we could have been way worse if we had not, uh, um, had something that challenged our, concept of existence at a fairly early age like yeah that's true like yes i understand a lot of toxic people really like catcher in the rye but if i had not read that i don't think it would have sent me down i i don't i don't know if i would have ended up on the same path i i wound up on you know, I weirdly agree with that. I had a very similar experience of yeah, reading yeah. Catcher of the Rye. Definitely does change your opinion. The difference is you need to read it young. At least I found that yeah, if you read it yeah. young, it makes it, sense. Re- read something else. You know, though, when you get a little older. Yeah, yeah. When you're older, maybe that's not. Maybe for, for the don't. kids out for the kids out there, listen to Fog Hat. Get it out of your system. Yeah, get it out now because you're not going <laughs> to want it later. And also read Catcher of the Rye at about thirteen to sixteen. That's about the good range. Don't read that at eighteen. Mm-hmm. You'll be jaded and no one will care. So that's kind of yeah, the way yeah. to to go about that but um i guess that kind of ties into what we're like 
looking at. And yeah, we're, we're about talking today. about the, the sonic landscape that we find ourselves in in this um, bizarre mm. late capitalist uh, mm-hmm. um, mm. landscape that we are in right now. What we wanted to talk about today, uh, if you'll, oh, don't don't stand too close to that speaker. Oh yeah. Yep, you're, sorry you're gonna yeah. you're making feedback yeah sorry i can't i can't hear myself think i uh, we can't stand too close to that speaker either right, ah, right. ah god but it's really trapped here yeah no unfortunately well fortunately i guess in one sense we had uh today's exhibit uh designed by guest artist steve reich uh who um basically built these suits made out of uh t- tons and tons of little microphones and as Whoa. we walk through the exhibit mm. uh they are feeding back off of the speakers on the walls oh man yeah, yeah. definitely a, it's a very difficult piece to endure i mean is it it, it, it kind i kind of feel like i'm wearing you know um the 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 still motion capture suits i was gonna say the still suits from dune but i also like (laughs) because anytime you can't compare everything to dune watch me watch me who do you think you are you know one (laughs) thing we didn't talk about one thing we didn't talk about with dune uh, (laughs) as if we haven't said enough was that uh it kind of was a ladybird reunion wasn't it because yeah the 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 mentat for uh house atreides whose name i'm forgetting it starts with an h therefore how it yeah how it was played by the same actor who was the drama teacher uh at ladybird school right and it, even though i don't think he shares a scene with uh timothy uh chalamet yeah I, I I can't help but imagine like you know them hanging out there mm. and being like, hey yeah, remember uh, remember <laughs> when we were in Lady Bird? Yeah, remember Ger- Greta Greta Gerwig's movie? That was fun. That yeah was yeah yeah. How is Greta? Do you talk to Greta? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of wild to think about, but um, no, I will always be comparing everything to Dune, but also because mm-hmm. the soundtracks for both films weirdly match up to our you know topic of minimalist music and what we're getting into with sound installations but yeah definitely the feedback isn't great i'm not loving that as a sound but i also think it's pretty cool so yeah it's a well next room maybe maybe we can pass through here into the uh the the room that absorbs all sound around us oh that uh less less echo uh, did you have one of those sound absorbing uh, wall things like with uh, at your high school? Like a soundproofed room, like for the like, band. It was and stuff? it was like just one wall that like had that foam. Oh yeah, yeah 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 yeah. It was it's always super weird to walk by those because you suddenly realize the ambient noise is gone on one half of your body as you walk past. Yeah, one. and. In, in a lot of ways, this is what um, experimental and contemporary uh, avant-garde music tries to deal with. Um, and I think uh, Steve Reich's work is, you know, not only interesting for the way that he plays with minimalism, and we'll talk about what exactly that is in the context of music in a moment, but... I thought today's exhibit would be a really good opportunity because, Joe, it it doesn't take much to get us talking about music. That's very true. Yeah, it, literally, you could say mm-hmm. one thing and be like, "Ooh, did somebody reference music?" And immediately, yeah, we, talk we to arguably off. spent, um, you know, the better part of uh, one exhibit where we were supposed to be talking about war movies, talking about Bon Jovi. That is pretty true. <laughs> That's yeah, fair. 
I think the idea of a soundtrack is very uh, big to both of us. You yes, know, yes. sound is 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 a part of a landscape just as much as as visuals are. If um, and you know, if, especially if you want to uh, incorporate those things in something like a film, but just in, in everyday life, you know, um, especially since the uh, commercial availability of headphones, mm. car radios. In portable stereos it's um and, and just recorded music in general yeah we have to think of the implications of these things to the very idea of music hmm. um and it would be really nice to give people a background into what exactly are sound artists dealing with as opposed to just a musician that plays the violin, um, you know, an instrument that's been around for hundreds of years, you know, um, in a lot of, in one sense, like there's specific things about the violin you would not change. Right. You could not change. Like there's something that we accept as the perfect ideal tonal instrument, you know, as, as an acoustic instrument. Right. What a sound artist might approach that as is is looking at the context of why you even associate certain sounds with certain things. Mm. And what is noise? What is music? Um, good question. You know, if yes. And one way to kind of look at this and why you might feel that music was good when you were young and then got worse. Uh, which I think we have mixed as people that grew up in the early two thousands, we have mixed emotions about, uh, huh. Um, but one, one way that it was put for me that I thought was very interesting is each generation if you want to think about things in terms of generations, which again, I know is flawed, but <laughs> if we want to talk about each, um, each passing iteration of what is the cutting edge of an art form, if we want to talk about it in terms of generations, each generation almost proposes a mm. different sound. It, it, it hands you a sound. It gives you a sound. And the audience must choose to accept it as music. Um, That's interesting. That we are, yeah. we, we are being given and we are receiving the potential for a new sound uh, to be considered uh, to be considered music. Because, uh, and and this this is a a thing that sound artists have been dealing with for a while. Is wh- where do you want to draw that line where? something is uh you know a something falling to the floor and what are the qualities of that thing that overlap with something that we listen to for pleasure mm, um right. music while music seems to be super cross cultural like just that we can recognize all these different cultures all over the world independently have it. Um, it's very difficult to talk about any sort of universal rule in our modern world um, without, you know, 
trying to form some kind of hierarchy without being too reductive of different uh, cultures. Like we can all agree that music exists, but there is no object to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there is no, uh, th- there's, there's not even necessarily the whole structure of 12 tone music that, or 12 tone theory that at one point in ac- in Western academia would have been considered okay, this is the basics. And that has since been, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, not, not, uh, not discredited, but we have opened up our view to music as so much more than the 12 tones, understanding that different cultures have notes that exist outside of that. Correct. Yeah, definitely. So where, where a sound artist must come in is, in 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 the modern world where you know really only for the last you know century and change we've had readily available commercial recorded music how did the world change think about what a paradigm shift it was to have recordable sound for the first time like can you actually imagine what it was like to be able to hear a sound backwards for the first time? That's got to be kind of incredible, to be honest. Yeah, wow. yeah. Like it would. It, it, it seems so ubiquitous to us, but that was the, the, the <laughs> right. It 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 must have been mind boggling. Like the first time you, uh, you know. Uh, pushed a tape backwards through a machine. You uh, pushed a record backwards. You know, all of these sounds um, are closely tied to modernity, uh, industrialization, and all of this stuff because there's no other point in history where those things would have existed. They Hmm. were hearing sounds that humans had presumably never heard before. And this is where music takes that sort of um or sound art really appears um at the uh, end of the 19th beginning of the 20th century where artists have recordable technology for the first time yeah i'm i'm curious if you kind of have uh as uh, a familiarity with this mm. stuff since you work with sound what's kind of what 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 what's kind of your take on on the history of sound art? I mean, is it all just unlistenable, uh, you know, avant garde, artsy fartsy stuff, or like what what do you kind of get out of it? Um, I don't. I mean, I I think you put it very eloquently and much more descriptive in terms of a timeline than I could do myself. So I I'm very interested because I didn't even consider that in terms of the technology mm-hmm. and, and the recording methods and these things. So I'm I'm always really fascinated um mm-hmm. with that part of it. But for me, I I don't think it's all avant-garde unlistenable music. I think it it goes through a metamorphosis over time mm-hmm. to find its footing. And there's a few kind of examples to where that will go. Like mm-hmm. I remember when I was first exposed to sound art, I was taking a music theory of the world or something class and it was an elective mm-hmm. I had to take. And it was really interesting actually, but I, a lot of people did not know music and they did not want to be there. I did. So I yeah. enjoyed it. <laughs> but um, we were talking about John Cage and a lot of people did not like it. 
at all. Right. And like even the teacher was kind of like, oh, it's John Cage, you know, whatever. And I was like, who the fuck is John Cage? Like, I didn't know who this was. So I was like, what is this? Like, who is Get this in person? The cage. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, you know, they were talking about it in class and I looked it up and, you know, his specific piece with the piano. Um, oh, no, actually, the specific piece was the one that's like, it that goes for years. It just like it, every year there's like another note gets added or something and it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And I was, I was amazed by that. I was like, that's kind of incredible. And, you know, people that disagree tend to be classical or really hardcore music theorists in a Western scale or maybe Eastern too. And that was, that's fascinating right. to me. So what mm-hmm. I like about sound art in general and mm-hmm. sound artists is you can use the, the context of art making and the medium and context of music and sound to go well beyond what music and practice of practical applications of music will let you. You know, you can explore right. sonic capabilities that were not really encouraged before or thought of that well, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's a very, like, crazy medium, just like video was, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. They go hand in hand in this way. But, like, kind of like how video art from the 60s and 70s is kind of crazy, mm-hmm. so is sound art, you know? And I also think of, like, yeah. you know, the Velvet Underground, for sure, with Lou Reed yeah. and, and Laurie Anderson coming later, you know, doing some pretty crazy mm-hmm. stuff, like, that's maybe not listenable, but it is kind of interesting, and yeah. I might not. I'm not really a big fan of a lot of um, like video art from the 60s and 70s. It's not my favorite genre, like time period for art making, like in that case. Mm-hmm. But it's very important because that was the basis to experiment and explore and just try everything and say, you know, kind of like, um, um, oh, but Bar- Barbara, Barbara Rubin has to put through the. Um, the film, like with with all the painted colors and things on it, it makes these crazy abstract paintings moving. You right, know, right. we can kind of get to different abstractions today, and I and I think there's also later sound artists who get more specific and start even marrying that installation with, or kind of like you know, installation art mixed with sound, like mm-hmm. Janet Cardiff and George Burst Miller, her her husband, are yeah. very famous for this, and they're some of my favorite mm-hmm. artists working and people that I kind of referenced yeah. a lot. And, you know, in particular, like the one piece that they made, um, which was, I think it's like 40 part or 40, yeah, 40 part motet. And they recorded a entire choir with yeah. um, each person's individual speaking. And they set up 40 speakers surrounding a, a room and each speaker has a voice in it, but together it makes a full piece of music and it's like a Gregorian mm-hmm you know chant and it's kind of amazing and it's haunting and it's you know yeah. it's like these people live in the speakers it, it, it's very interesting wow. and and kind of expands upon this idea of what music can be and what sound can right. be and there's some you know it, it, there's also like a good more contemporary and mm-hmm. maybe for our listeners too who aren't as familiar in the art world but maybe are on like tiktok for instance those like do you know the songs that like it sounds like classical like 1940s music and it's chopped up and they do like the different moods or whatever and there's like a trend that right, was around yeah. it. That is 320 minutes long. It's super long that piece. <laughs> and it's apparently I don't remember the name of it, but it is the it is it is a work that deals with I think it's um Alzheimer's and it's like somebody slowly losing their mm. mind and like what they hear and it's the disintegration of it over time and it gets like really crazy and kind mm-hmm. of very scary towards the end and it's this like 
really fascinating idea though like you know you're gonna make this massively un you know long piece of music that would take you forever to listen to but you're you're playing with time and you're playing with sound Mm -hmm. um so i think those in terms of the history in terms of some just like broad you know examples are what really fascinate me but also just this idea and this is maybe me speaking out of my own work the idea that certain sounds can disguise themselves as other things is fascinating mm-hmm. that because we yeah. have synthesizers and we have sampling and we have ways of bending and mingling or mangling sounds, you can make a synth sound like a harmonica, which is something I've done. You can make, yeah. you know, a guitar sound like a violin. You can make a violin sound like, you know, a guitar sometimes, you know, you can, you can play with what <laughs> the actual instrument is. And even like you, when we had like cross-cultural exchanges of musical instruments and specifically in India, you know, there's a specific way of playing the violin upright, like a almost like a sarood or a sitar by bowing it, and it's you tune it in a specific tuning. I don't remember what it is, unfortunately, but it's it's it follows that more the the um the Indian scales, and it's crazy cool. It is such a yeah. unique and different way, based in I mean colonialism, but also cultural exchange in that way of like of 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 changing music, and even like. You know, it's it's interesting to me thinking about the recorded process of how new that is, and now that we, you know, exchange Spotify playlists or we record our our friends' yeah. band on our phone or something. But like even before that exchange of hearing something mm-hmm. different would have been just bards going from place to place or ship to ship and saying, "Hey, yeah. what are you playing? That sounds really cool. Let me learn that mm-hmm. on my on my oud here or on my lute, and then I can <laughs> I can jam out and then." mix it remix it literally right, to something right. else and that's why we have so many different versions and variations of pieces of music because totally. it's just people they didn't write it down they just learned it by mm-hmm. ear sometimes or maybe they did so it's music offers this like and music and art specifically together offer this incredible way of looking mm-hmm. at our world and the things that we hear every day and making something completely different out of it and i think that's kind of incredible yeah, I, you know, that that makes me think of a lot of different things, but that's, um, especially if we want to think of the, um, the, the birth of so many types of popular music in the United States, especially blues, um, you know, when you're hearing that sort of whining sound of, uh, of a guitar or a piano in, um, that, in that type of music, uh, you're hearing like them imitating train uh train engines and train whistles yeah you know it's it's all kinds of imagery of you know industrialized america at that point Mm. i've i've read that you could be hearing something written and intended for one type of instrument quite often and then you'll hear it approximated on another quite often I'd read in this one book, uh, I think it was Keith Richards actually hypothesizing this. Um, So when you're listening to Chuck Berry's guitar lines, Keith Richards was sort of hypothesizing that (laughs) he didn't want to pay a horn section. Mm. (laughs) So you're hearing these, these guitar lines is, and it's so interesting to even think about it because, you know, Chuck Berry's like the, the person we think of in terms of, you know, he had he had this structure to his songs where the guitar is front and center, but there's also these catchy verses and everything. Hmm. But you're hearing all of these guitar parts that, 
you know, even just a little bit before would have been played on other instruments. And you're really hearing, you know, that, uh, it's, it's so weird to like compare it to other rock and roll of the time because it was still the era of the big bands. And now you have this completely different method of making music where you can play the whole song on one instrument, really. It's kind of awesome, you know, in that way of of it being possible. Yeah, and that's that's sort of the beauty and sort of speaks to the popularity of guitars and pianos uh, and synthesizers as as these instruments that people uh, typically will be experimenting on. Um, I don't think it's anything that's meant to disparage other instruments. No, Um, no, no. no. There's there's interesting things uh, to be done with other instruments. But they are instruments that let you sort of think and wonder aloud and compose a song mm. on on your own in a way that it's it's more difficult with other uh, kinds of w- uh, ways of music making. Um, I was also sort of thinking, like, if we're talking like turn of the century and stuff, there was this i there there was there was an idea that had come out that like go- going back to what you were even saying about you know the people that don't like avant-garde whatever um experimental stuff might be classically trained or they might be um someone very entrenched in a particular uh genre that they feel some sort of uh tradition or loyalty to Mm -hmm. in sort of the early days of sound art there was an idea that it was something that almost should stay within academia because it was not immediately accessible, you know? Mm, That's interesting. This is the early 20th century. There is now a firm idea of the kitsch and the avant-garde. There is art that is ubiquitous, not much depth to it. Everybody has access to it because of, um, you know, mass production. And then there's the stuff that is more challenging to try and get something out of you. Right. And the the attitude was academics, academia should be the people actively pursuing this um, avant-garde. And mm. and that was the space to do it because you would assume you would presumably have the education to be able to access it, um, you know, and this says something to maybe the elitism of the time. <laughs> right. But. It also does kind of make sense, like when you think about who are they making this for, you know? Um, right. Well, it's, it's like jazz, if, if, right? If, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're thinking about a time where, you know, they're not even, if you're thinking that it would be decades until they ever saw Elvis and Elvis was shocking, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. but but it is that like that is a thing that happens in a lot of like music circles, just like art circle, like visual art circles, yeah. where you are making things in response to your crowd. Like, yeah, jazz was always explained to me in that way because it's like jazz musicians love jazz, right? Mm-hmm. Because they know what's happening. No one loves jazz like jazz musicians. It's true, though. I mean, but I I I, I like jazz, but <laughs> I, sometimes it's it's not. I don't I don't enjoy it the same way. Because I don't know mm-hmm. technically what's happening, I enjoy it because it sounds cool, and there's yes. some sonic interest there. Yeah, and yeah. I think at the you know 
people now who are jazz musicians can really play and enjoy and, and, and dance around mm-hmm. different, you know, scales and tones and chords because they know yeah. what to do and they know the rules. And it's like, you know the rules mm-hmm. and you can break them. But they can still make something so accessible, you know, that everybody will listen to it and like yeah. it to a certain extent or appreciate it. I think people can appreciate jazz. Absolutely, maybe, and, yeah. and, But I, I think that's a good way to look at even like early avant-garde sound art versus more contemporary sound works that are building on this basis and can sometimes be difficult, sure, but now there's a bit of an acknowledgement of, okay, this is the history, this is the language I'm working with, and now the rest of the world is kind of caught up with that. So, you know, I might not sit there and look at, or someone might not sit there and look at a piece and say, wow, this really reminds me of a John Cage work from, you know, this specific time and this specific title. It's like, they just go, wow, that's really crazy. I've never seen anything like this, but it it sounds like, you know, I don't know, airplanes, or it sounds like jazz, or it sounds weird. So it's like, we've built this vocabulary over time, and I think that that's really fascinating. Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. Yeah, and I... And we, we've run into this issue before where it's kind of frustrating that um, there's a lot of artists that really do care about issues that affect, um, you know, people not just uh, in in these elite circles, people that, you know, feel for um, the, the exploited classes and want to react to that and want to, you know, make work. Um, that is in in dialogue with that. For sure. But so often the issue we have is, like a lot of types of art, the assumption that there there is an assumption, maybe it's not always true, but the assumption is, if you are partaking in this stuff, you are at least in a comfortable enough, privileged enough position that you could even enjoy something like this. Um, and it's an issue that we run into quite often. And it's, you know, yeah. why art that we roll our eyes at, typically very kitsch stuff, is stuff that speaks to people that have it way worse than you and me. Mm, fair. And we are not we are not in a position to talk down to people that do harder jobs than us, but make our our relative comfort possible right um and this has been you know attempted to be bridged in a couple of different ways you know jazz does have that sort of beautiful appeal to it that it can lull you in with something very soothing you know this is part of the whole like the fear of jazz even that it was so seductive yeah and then can have also incredibly dissident challenging noises in it as well i think to a different to a different extent blues music also can do that i think the thing that fascinated a lot of um europeans and european americans when they heard blues was just the blue note mm. which would you know reflects 
having to think about multiple scales at once while you are uh, playing in a specific key, you know? Yeah. Um, that if you are playing a song in the key of E, well, it means that we're also going to be using notes. You're going to use the notes from E major, but you're also going to use notes from the parallel minor of, yeah. uh, of E minor, which is technically G, but because we're playing blues, let's also go a step further and let's borrow notes from the parallel minor of G. So now you're in E, but you can now play a B flat, which is the minor of, which is the parallel minor of G. Uh, uh, you're you're like reaching across multiple, um, you know, you're still within 12 tone theory, but you're playing in multiple scales at once and you could imagine that must have been a revelation to people who heard it for the first time oh yeah it's crazy like tonally it's crazy and also just for the people playing it it's crazy but that's kind of like the fun Mm -hmm. part but but in, in terms of where we're trying to involve the working class in this very human activity of music making there was um you know, you saw in the Soviet Union there was def uh, that for obvious reasons there was a want for the art and culture to have some semblance of you know working class ownership, right? Mm, right, right. So for for like the Russian avant garde, uh, a lot of their music dealt with directly with those issues, right. There was uh, this one piece uh, made by uh, an artist uh, named Abramov to use a city as an orchestra. Yes, I, I was just the, thinking yes. about that when you yes. were saying that. Yeah. Yes. Um, it, it was called the Symphony of Sirens, um, and it would be performed in a public place. But, you know, he wanted to use the sounds of mis- machinery, industrialized roar, you know, uh Again, when we talk about the sounds of modernity, um, you have to imagine within a couple of generations, the sound of a city was profoundly different. And all of these new sounds were just a part of the landscape of life. You know, the sound Mm. of factories, the sounds of cars, uh, you know, all all of all of this. automation and new technology you you would have to react to it in the same way that for centuries uh humanity had been reacting to nature the sounds of people uh a a, the the way that our instruments had been crafted was always to kind of approximate something else and make it musical and now you know, you're entering a new century where you have acousto uh, electric instruments for the first time. You know, yeah, an instrument yeah, that um, maybe you do play it, but the sound only truly exists within amplification. Yeah, that is kind of crazy to think about in this way. Um, yeah, I because it is it is like one of those fascinating things too of like the earliest instruments we find, which are like a drum and a flute. Yeah, because you could make yeah. them and we found them and then yeah. it's it's I, I, well i think i've heard the theory too that there's like someone could have heard the wind going through like a bone like a hollowed mm-hmm, out bone mm-hmm. and it made a specific sound and then you kind of replicate that 
But it's also yeah. one of these things where like music is so weird because it is kind of distinctly human in this way. Because it's like we are so fascinated with patterns, we've found a way to make that something else that we enjoy sound wise. Right. And there was this really in that same class I mentioned, there was this mm-hmm. kind of an interesting argument posed about mm-hmm. um what is music. Right. And they were like, Well, are birds chirping music? Mm. And is the call to prayer in, you know, Islamic countries music? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I mean, this was also a class full of mostly Westerners of like specific religion, you know, not really involved in yeah. that. But I always, you know, I like those tones of both of those things yeah. very much. But they mm-hmm. have a good point because it's not, yeah, it, is it isn't is really it music? music. Yeah. It, and it, is there, is there a need if you are in a, you know, if you are in a in a, in a traditional culture or if you are you know uh existing within nature you have to again think about the need for a distinction between noise and music right but I, but i think even in like yeah. this it's kind of that like yeah. it, it is it is totally that right the distinction and why and yeah. and do we need it but also mm-hmm. like what's deeper than that and that's right, like, why right. am I looking? Why am I hearing a call to prayer and moved? I don't know what's being said. I don't speak Arabic, but I'm moved by the tones of this. And I always have. And it's one of the, my like favorite sounds in the world, yeah. honestly. And same with birds chirping because it's yeah. comforting. And, and it, but then I think you can, you can use those and they have been used in other music and they've been influenced for sure. But specifically like nature sounds are used in music a lot. I use them in my music. I think it's fascinating that nature has its own rhythms, just like the city, you know, making the mm-hmm, sounds of the mm-hmm. city. Things around us have their own tonalities to them. It's how we use it as an instrument that could transform it yeah. into music or how we channel it into a piece of music, maybe that shapes it. Mm-hmm. Because I think otherwise it is just noise, but I guess it's a matter mm-hmm. of like, what do you find attracted to that noise and, what do we find important of it and how do we preserve it? Yeah. Because in a lot of nature sounds, we're getting rid of it, like, you know, yeah. which is also terrifying. But I also wonder, you know, in the experimental music now, like, I think it's fascinating that, like, you know, industrial noises yeah. would have been terrifying at first and then normal. Yeah. And now we are very normal yeah. to it. But now yes. we strive for nature sounds to the point mm-hmm. where they are used as white noise for sleeping yes. and for meditating whatever and that is no longer kind of a normal depending on where you live obviously mm-hmm. i find that interesting as how that's mm-hmm. been used mm-hmm. experimental wise how that's been you know transformed into something else and yeah. kind of i think that connection to what you you were talking about like the you know back to everyday people why a lot of these yeah. things could be not accessible which i totally agree and i think it's important to to recognize that and and find an, yeah. an accessibility somewhere and i think i wonder if there's anything there you know with how right. because because think about it like people like listening to nature sounds people Absolutely. listen to rain and enjoy it and it's recorded mm-hmm. that's yeah. technically experimental in a weird because it's not music but it is music right. and then and then the thing that always bothers me is when they put like you know generic midi sound effect over it so it's like a <laughs> soothing you know saw wave and you're like oh my god here we go but like <laughs> that has been you know manipulated and messed with and done to make very peaceful music that's very soothing and you know people like that because it it's relaxing 
And yeah. that's a kind of an interesting way that we've evolved with experimenting because those are, I wouldn't classify those as radio hits. You know, that's not something that's marketable. It's not something that's uh, classically tuned and using music theory, but it, it taps into something different, which is mm-hmm, resonance. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole, one of the common threads here, it sounds like kind of the differentiating of, of um, mm-hmm. minimalist music and sound art versus kind of a classical approach or a Western approach to, to music making is that it's that importance of resonance is that is it actually scales and tone and formalities that is the important part or is it the mm-hmm. the resonance of the sounds you're using and the tones of those and the feelings that mm-hmm. come out is that what's important and if both are achieving mm-hmm. the same goal then it just depends on how you want it to sound because i don't think there's anything wrong yeah. with being a formally you know uh, someone who is trained very practically disciplined and you know, really knows how to handle a piano and can, you know, master it. And same with mm-hmm. classical music in this way. It can be very daunting and inaccessible yeah. to, I think, a lot of people, but there, it's that instrument. You have to master it. But then I think it's the next step of experimenting within those canons, within those lessons mm-hmm. and disciplines that can open up a whole new thing. And that's kind of the exciting part even now with sound art because it's so accessible. And, like, you know, there's also that, like, Brian Eno quote, about how, like, you know, as soon as a technology becomes outdated, it's immediately, you know, um, treasured cherished. and looked for. As, yeah, as cherished. Soon, as soon exactly. as something can be avoided. You know? Yeah, and it's the whole argument with tape now. And, you know, as I, I just got into starting working with tape and cassette, and I kind of love it. And, and you do wonder about the nostalgia impact to music nowadays and, yeah. like, why we need to go back to technologies. But I also think that, like, Yes, there's a nostalgia in there, and there's a re- and we think the masters use this, so I must use it. I mm. also just think it's a quality that you don't get if you if you want it, mm. if you want that quality of tape grain and and moving yeah, through it. Yeah. It's kind of like how it's like how, you know it, it it's easier to just use that than it would be to fake it if you're looking <laughs> for it. It's like taking a photograph, right? It's easier to take the photograph right than it is to edit. Always, yes. no matter what, and I feel like in yes. music too, in the in the devices you use or the tools you use, that is a good way to maybe go about it too. I don't know if any mm-hmm. of this is going a bit off track, but I I, I no, think it no, is no. really I interesting mean, this in is, considering this is all totally stuff to keep in mind. I mean, especially like when we talk about you know twelve tone theory, you know, and if if you're not familiar, you know, this is the idea of. A, A sharp, B, C, C sharp, on and on and on. And that there are, you know, 12 notes in varying octaves. And that's a way that we can um, chart uh, music. Right. And, you know, in one sense, that's a construct, like all things, you know, it's a language. In another, like, there are things that are happening in terms of physics. Oh yeah. That, the, that those things, that the way that those sounds are related to each other, you know, one, one interesting way I've heard it put is it's not so much that we invented those notes as much as we discovered them. Oh, that's interesting. That a note, that a tone was played for the first time, uh, you know, on an instrument. And eventually it was discovered that, you know, if you cut that, wavelength or if you doubled it you would get a new note uh of, mm. and you know basically hopscotching your way around the piano keyboard finding 
and discovering all of these notes until 12 tone music was understood. Um, and, you know, and then copied down into what we think of as musical notation, you know, it all would have right. been sung. It all would have been, you know, played, like you said, on flutes and other uh, early instruments. But this does also kind of, you know, lead into uh, an interesting exercise that was uh, brought out of 12 tone. An Austrian composer named uh, Josef Matthias Hauer published Law of the Twelve Tones in 1919, but later in 1923, uh, another composer, Arnold Schoenberg, um, sort of uh, came up with an exercise, said, can you make a song, can you make a melody? uh, The rules are you have to use all 12 uh, tones and you cannot repeat. Oh, wow. Uh, That's fascinating. Yeah. And it's just sort of an immediately like interesting exercise trying to uh, tr- trying to order all of those pitches as uh, as as something that resembles music. You know, right. like what can hmm. you do with those building blocks? I like the way that you mentioned earlier, like channeling. And, yeah. and that that's that's what it feels like in a lot of ways, the way that we want to try and channel these things around us into music, into a way of understanding and observing something as music. Yeah, that's really fat. Now I want to try that exercise, actually. But I know, it, it's right? Really, now, it's d- cool. D- like, yeah. As soon as I heard that, I was like, I want to try that. Yeah, it's fascinating. It poses a lot of... It, it's creativity, right? It's the simple yeah. ways of creating and restricting yourself to like or constrain giving yourself constraints to work within it's Mm -hmm. why like people really love those like sp404 samplers which i i had and traded but it is (laughs) it is cool like you only get so many buttons to do something so you got to make it work and Mm -hmm. you get amazing results if you are creative you know it's it's the problem i have with like daws daws and you know even though i like them um like you know, with Logic and GarageBand and Reason and all those other ones, they are they have be allowed for people to make music on such a budget. It's kind of a blessing, mm-hmm. but there's so much stuff, and it's so <laughs> daunting if you're just like, you know, starting out. And it's kind of like, you know, it, it, I think it was part of the reason I was always so scared of making music. I think it's also part of the reason why people make music a certain way and don't experiment because, like, you have to wonder even with like pop music and the specific tones that come with that, whether whatever that means for your generation, because obviously it's different depending on when you mm-hmm. grow up. But like, it's always fascinating to me that, you know, we will try to make the same thing again. And we mm-hmm. will, if we are cr- being creative, where like, we must sound like this, you know, I play guitar, mm-hmm. so I have to sound like this person. I have to sound like that. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that for learning. But I think at the end, you often, I guess I often wonder, it's like, is there more to it? Is there more of your voice that needs to come through? What what should be mm-hmm. there and what shouldn't? You know, does it have to be played by, you know, do, do you want to model your music after somebody else? And, you know, maybe you're Greta Van Fleet and you do. Is there anything wrong with that, right? And that's not <laughs> a dig example. at them. No, but it's true. Like, I, it is true. Like, they do sound like Led Zeppelin. And 
they're pretty open about that. And it's kind of like... I think crucially, though, the guitar and vocals yes. sound like Led Zeppelin. Yes. So you, it is that. And, like, I mean, I know people that I went to school with who pursue music and they're, you know, really into making the hit pop song and they're going to make it and they're going to be, like, on American Idol or whatever whatever we do. I don't know. I don't follow these strains, but it's like... <laughs> is American Idol still on? I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. But, like, do you X know what I mean? Like, it's, it's that type of singing. It's that type of sound. It's very 2000s yeah. into 2010. And you're kind of like... Like, you wonder, like... It's like, why does that, bands like Imagine Dragons still exist? Because people like it. And it's accessible, I guess. But I, I guess it's, like, my long-winded way of being, like, is there any ways to play with constraints and restrictions and experiments to music that go beyond just what we're told this is what music sounds like is this music is this yeah. is this how it is right it's that <laughs> it's that vine it's literally that so right. i think it's like it's just my question with it and like this yeah. this approach is to that is to somebody who is making you know um emo rap in their basement to the same math rock song that i've heard at every basement show i've ever been to <laughs> to someone making a pop song now it, it, it is that question of like where do you put your voice in? And the same with artists who then do that and manipulate a song and, and get to experiment. And uh, before I forget this too, there's a really interesting work by Sam, the the uh, the sound artist Samson Young, who's you know mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. well known and has a very high budget yeah. when he works. But it's, I think his piece is called Nocturne, and mm-hmm. he is it's a performance reacting to. Um, a, a, a it's like a night scene from like i think it's one of the i think it might be iraq or afghanistan wars of like all the 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 cities being bombed but all the sound is coming from the instruments in front of him which is like a huge you know kick drum rocks yeah. dirt a, you know there's actually a gun on the um on the drum like to weigh it down there was wow. a razor on there and there's all these different microphones attached and looked at and contact mm-hmm. mics and it's the simple touch that makes the foley but it's using instruments yeah. And it's using other pieces of gear and other materials that we wouldn't expect to make those sounds, but it it does kind of trick your mind, and you see and you you hear gunshots, you hear the the rubble, you hear the night yeah. sounds, and it's kind of haunting in this way. But it oh, is that yeah. fascination of of can sound demonstrate something else in us beyond just music and beyond just you know, I guess perception in that way. Like how can mm-hmm. we? how can you be fooled by something and how can those sounds that, you know, that drum that's not being used like a drum sound like something completely different is I think another big part of sound art. And it's, I think something we've been getting at this whole time, but yeah. it is really interesting in that way, right? Like you, you wonder how that can be read as music and is it, mm-hmm, or is mm-hmm. it not? And I mean, I don't think it is, <laughs> but it, it, it is in a way, right? It's, it's, it's everything is music and nothing is music. It's kind of weird in that way. Maybe I'm being a bit contra- contradictive as I'm very much being <laughs> contradictive, but it is kind of like, yeah. you know, what is music and, and Absolutely. what can, what no, can music it's, be? It's, you know, you can lead yourself down all kinds of rabbit holes and asking yourself that. I think what's also interesting is, you know, we want to, on the one hand, we're looking for all these kinds of ways that we see, uh, all these rules that we see as oppressive. We want mm-hmm. to liberate ourselves from some kind of construct or constraint, um, but maintain some kind of discipline because I yes, feel like yes. most would argue that's still where, you know, good art comes from on some level whether Agreed. or not it even takes a long time to make i think everyone can acknowledge <laughs> right. there's some kind of discipline 100 percent. i think 
what you at least saw in the early 20th century, and we still sort of live in this world now, um, it was all the different types of isms. Yeah, yeah. Where you no longer, at least in the Western world and in, in the European countries and the, uh, and, you know, the, the, the cultural centers, uh, in America, you were not making music, uh, as a, they, they weren't seeking to make music as a pastime, as some sort of, uh, theological veneration, you know, God is dead, all of this stuff were, you know, like they, they needed, like, what's the point of, of making any of this stuff? And a lot of ways, what sort of replaced that was isms, you know, that you were, uh, interested in Dada, futurism, you know, all of these things, uh, you were interested in communism, you were interested in, uh, socialism, anarchy, or you could be, uh, interested in all of these things fascism you know right and that sort of served as your your template for the reasons why you were pursuing uh the art or the idea that you were um and the and that would be the avant-garde of that circle Mm. uh and you know all of those even all of those had tremendous blind spots to them yes, yes. Uh, in terms of their philosophies that we can look back on now. I mean, if you read the Futurist Manifesto, uh, on, the one, on the one hand, they're seeking what a lot of people were hoping for out of the 20th century. And there's ideas there that you could even relate to. You could talk yourself into where technology will save us. Um, that we need Uh. to throw off the chains of the past and, uh, and, and that, and, and our technology and our future will be bright if we get rid of all of these old fashioned things that are holding us back. And maybe if you were there in that moment, that probably seemed appealing because everything that must have felt stuck about the world were probably things that had been in place for centuries. And you were like, this is what's holding us back for sure. Yeah. And you know, you, but all you have to do is like read till the end. And like, it is a deeply, you know, misogynistic document, you know, very like, I, I I think, there's there is a glorification of violence and warfare you know an emphasis on like some kind of classicalist idea of an italian warrior you know yeah it's very much it's machismo yeah it's machismo yes literally it's very much so very much so and this is not the italian macho wearing wearing a scarf sipping uh their very tiny coffee this is uh you know the the stuff that is going to lead to like italian fascism yeah it's but you see those ideas and you see the things that were made in this idea of we're going to build a better future but we have to stick to this other specific thing and it's <laughs> right. it's the interesting thing it's like 
every time they're like, we're going to throw out all of these old things, we're going to rebuild better. And you see people struggling to figure out the, like they have to start from square one because now they yeah. have to figure out everything else because they threw out everything old, the yeah, things that crazy. were working. And it's why you can't kind of, it's why you have to be very careful when you accept any kind of, you know, even even if it is, you know, a a um a departure from something deeply flawed, like right. we all want now. We all want, you know, some kind of uh revolution to build a more equitable future. Um and you want to be careful that we don't throw out the things that do work about the here and now. Uh, right exactly when we're at that you know and that's a very difficult thing to to do because you have to even convince people that that's even exciting <laughs> yeah i know that's the trick uh yeah so so it's it's interesting and what's what's sort of happened what you've seen happen over, as the 20th century played out whereas there is the kitsch and there is the avant-garde within these movements what you saw that get replaced by was subcultures right subcultures are what replaced our concept of the avant-garde because avant-garde you know felt very centered on specific people and the people that we take seriously as people that know and study a genre or know and study a technique are coming out of subcultures rather than some vague idea of a bunch of people living in uh you know Bauhaus apartments right right yeah and Mm. uh you know and that everybody was is you know sitting in art school but I I just imagine like I don't know what art school was like a hundred years ago it just seems like everybody was sitting around in striped shirts smoking (laughs) it probably was similar you like, know is, that, I mean? is that all they did? I, Life is meaningless. I mean, I guess, yeah. According to like, you know, the sun also rises, but that was an art school. But that was that's <laughs> that's how I picture the like, you know, post World War One vibe is. But then even later yeah. on, it doesn't really. I don't know. But, I mean, like, especially if you're if you're living in Europe post World War One, you totally understand Dada. You understand yeah. the nonsense sound art that they're making, and and how crucial sound was to them. Because again, you had the sounds of violence, the sounds of mass murder. Yeah, it, it was all of this stuff must have been absolutely terrifying in one sense. But as an artist, it's it's handing you new tools. Yeah. To, uh, because you have you have things that people have not heard before. Um, there's so much like Dada poetry and songs that are so interesting because they approximate the sounds of speech, mm. but it's all gibberish. And you're there, there's a couple of pieces I've listened to in class even where you're listening to someone speak, you're hearing like the shapes of words, but your brain can't quite wrap all the way around them to make them make sense but right i remember one part listening to a a sound piece and you could hear the performer smiling while they were speaking at one point oh that's cool the the light-hearted part where you're giving a monologue and you can kind of you know like you you can do that like you can even hear that in songs 
where the singer like is smiling out of the corner of their mouth and like is giving like a little extra mm. oomph on a certain word. Right. Like you, it was just amazing to me across time. I could hear mm. the smile mm. of someone speaking gibberish. Yeah, it's kind of awesome in that way. It's really Isn't fascinating. It? It's yeah, great. it's so interesting. It sucks. I mean, they were all misogynists. I know. But, I know. And and yeah. racist. Yeah. But, well, um, like, well, like even like I've heard now we are in this like new Dada age, if right. you will, because of the way meme culture acts and the way that I've we like heard that. It's but, yeah. I, I'm not describing this well. Maybe we'll have to do another tour on mm-hmm. it when I have some information. Yeah, yeah. I know a friend of ours has told this to me as well, but like. Mm-hmm. I, it's kind of curious because think of like the, think of how Mm -hmm. meme sounds have shaped the way we look at the world and the way that we react to things. Uh I mean, Uh literally any TikTok sound or any Vine sound has shaped, if you know it, you know it and it conjures Uh that image. I don't think it's necessarily the most like, dare I say, you know, uh, conceptually challenging and deep (laughs) as I'm making it, but it's still that, like, this is gonna be remembered somehow later down, and I think it's curious to wonder how. Just like the Dadaists plan this out. I don't know if they even, in certain cases, Mm -hmm. I don't know how conceptually deep that was at the time, right? I don't, because, but like, but even like with that, it's not that it isn't. Right, mm-hmm. it's that it just mm-hmm. might because that's the thing I feel like we mix up a lot in and you hear people talk about the art. They'll be like, "Oh, it's not that deep in a book. It's mm-hmm. not," and that's mm-hmm. very popular in a post Tumblr. That's a big thing, right? Oh, well, the book's <laughs> not that deep. English class is dumb. It can mean anything. No, it's like it's it is intentional. It doesn't mean the artist wrote it all out and they planned it accordingly. It sometimes mm-hmm. means that mm-hmm. it went beyond them, and that's interesting. Yeah. And that's where I think discipline comes in handy too with art practice that. Good art isn't just realistic, and it's not just classical music. In the case of music, it goes, you learn from those things and go beyond it. And that doesn't always make sense at the time, but sometimes later Mm -hmm. it does. Yeah, yeah. I, there's a couple of ways that I, a couple of ideas that float through my head sometimes when people talk about that stuff. Like, I'll hear critical evaluations of pop songs that like really try to make it out like this was a deeply meaningful challenging idea and maybe (laughs) to some extent sure you can make that argument but two things one it was made for mass consumption there's going to be artistic choices but at the end of the day we have to acknowledge like what is it about this thing that was made to be consumed Right, that is what sound artists, musicians, but what everyone's had to deal with is someone's trying to market this. You know, no matter what sphere you're in, you know that is that is typically a concern. And also, I sometimes think that when we hear these really, you know, um, these critical evaluations that hold, uh that kind of art to the pedest to on, on a pedestal that hold it up as um as as an exemplary piece of art we do a couple of things that bother me you know sometimes which is again like 
form other kinds of unhealthy uh, worship and attachment to mm. something owned by somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and trying to hold it up as a, as a universal, pure, good thing. And then there's this thing that just feels like, it almost feels like this is just written to flatter people to make them think that they are consuming something sophisticated. Oh, like, yeah. I love, deeply love a lot of classic rock music. However, I kind uh, with very key exceptions, because sometimes they can be done well, I don't like a lot of classic rock documentaries and biographies because they hold a kind of reverence that I find unhealthy. Mm, um, yeah. That they maybe you want to critically evaluate from an artistic standpoint the music of Journey, <laughs> uh, which maybe could be interesting in one sense, but if all you're going to talk about is how great they were, I feel like that's just flattering someone who's like, you know, maybe you just liked Journey because it was on the radio and you were young and, you know, you, and you, you identified something with it or it was just on the radio. Yeah. More so that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's the thing that's difficult to separate out, you know, like, I under I can understand like how important Nirvana was to a lot of people that felt like misfits and stuff. Um, and, you know, even to some extent myself. Uh, and then you look at the stuff that just sort of seems like flattery and self-congratulations that uh, we did it we were right we we listened to the right kind of music we were the sophisticated yeah people at the cutting at the avant-garde of culture right um, and it's like and and that's also rubbed me kind of the wrong way as well like we can be critical of grunge while also holding it up as as a you know in a yeah. a totally valid means of expression we can do that with hip-hop we can do that with any of these types of music um right that 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 had this this moment of extreme youth culture relevance and you know we, we can have that and still kind of be still interrogated as well you know and maybe this is just sort of the the postmodern hell that we find ourselves <laughs> in where we can't just let things be um we have to dissect them but i feel like you have to respond with that when people want to have these uh, when, mm -hmm. when people want to have that response cuz you know we're young for now but one day uh, we're, we're just going to be the people that we hate that talk about how much better things were when they were young. Yep. Um, yep. If you don't break that it, cycle, yeah. it's going to keep going. But but this this leads me to another interesting thing that, you know, uh, avant-garde music and and sound art does, which I which I think addresses in in such a crucial way. uh is is a perception and an understanding of time. Mm, yes. Um, and 
really starting to understand music as a decoration of time because it, mm. it again has no physical art object even when we hear a sound even if it is a synthesized sound and this is where electronic music can like really mess with our heads our brains want to associate a sound with a source Think about the manipulation you can do with a listener or, uh, you know, someone um, consuming your your art with the assumption that, you know, the, the sort of false assumption that something must exist prior to a sound being made. And then we've lived for the better part of a century now with synthesizers, you know. Yeah, yeah, sound does not need to have a a physical origin point. Um, you know, it can be entirely electronically produced. So then so then add into that, so so we've established that fallacy that that sound can can could even possibly be its own thing divorced from the physical world. And then add in looping. Add uh, in yeah. the weirdness of dance music um and and uh and and pre-recorded music where you have captured a moment of time and are able to repeat it indefinitely mm. when you start to think about it it's kind of dizzying to think about the how how we sort of take that for granted that we've frozen this this moment of time in, in this way and and have that ability to perpetuate it that you yeah, can perpetuate yeah. a drum beat you can perpetuate a sample a vocal line you know over and over again like what what do you even do mm. with that power like what i i, I don't even know if if <laughs> you've even fully grasped that we have this power i don't think so i think it's in its stages right now to be honest i mean it's because like you know Yes, you can loop and keep the same tempo or like drop it a few mm-hmm. bit, which is how you make just most hip hop beats or earlier ones, or you slow it down and you degrade it, mm-hmm. or you speed it up yeah. and you make something high pitched and you can yeah. build those as the basis for synthesizers themselves. There's a lot of synthesis yeah. people who work with electronic music and minimal kind of, you know, ambient stuff. They just use samples and slow them and make and they make incredible stuff that does not sound like yeah. you know somebody's made you know people sample stuff from video games and they make these incredible different sounds that you're like that's from this like I can't even hear it <laughs> and and also sometimes you pick the right sound choices and you intentionally want to hear it and mm-hmm, sampling mm-hmm. has opened up an entirely different way to look at music and some people will, are very bitter about it obviously because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. copyright what even is that but like you know but it, but it is like it is like it's the next step in how we appreciate music because now we take the things we like and turn them into something else. Use them as mm-hmm. the physical building blocks, the physical materials for that. But it is really fascinating what you're saying about the source. I never thought of that. Like we want to find a source to what the sound is. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that when you get to electronic music, it gets a lot harder. And that's very true. Yeah. Now I start to pick because I can hear when people use certain instruments from a music library. So mm-hmm. I guess that's just <laughs> the musical ear. I've always been like that. I've always been somebody yeah. that was interested in like, okay, let me hear the guitar part. Let me hear the drum part. Let me focus on the bass part. Let me focus on this. Yeah. You know, and I just find that interesting. But like yeah. in electronic music, it's weirder. And you have to be like, well, what kind of wave is that? Or is that an 808? Or what are they using? And it's just, <laughs> it, it opens this whole different way of learning and thinking. But like, it is, 
it's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I don't know what we're going to hear in the next couple of years for sure. And and I hope yeah. to God not to be somebody that's like, I stopped listening to music at 25 and I was okay with that. And, you know, music, Ariana Grande was the capital of music. We will never go past it. You know, like I just, it's so weird that people do that. I mean, like I get it, but also I don't. And honestly, I never mm-hmm. understood how people could just be like, I will only listen to classic rock from, you know, 1980 and that's it. Or, or 1980 backwards and that's that's all I'm going to listen to or I only like Cole's music or I only like pop country music. And it's like, why? Mm-hmm. That's it? I mean, I think I, you I need guess, to like but... one of each. Yeah. I'm going to say 12, 12, 12 tone exercise, but you have to pick one one <laughs> artist from each genre, and that's, that's all you're allowed to like. That's it. That's that's some dystopian yeah, writing right wisely. there. Yeah, choose for, wisely. Yeah, oh my God, I couldn't do it. I also um, am like, you know, as as we move forward with all of that stuff, it's you, you can only sort of imagine where that stuff is going. It also does remind me of another Steve Reich piece where this is going back into what is sort of considered minimalist music, you know, and sort of minimalism as a concept. Um, He has a piece that is, I believe it was written in the 90s. In the 90s, there was, minimalism went out of fashion, you know, in the mid 20th century, but came back into fashion in the 90s. And there was a bit of a resurgence in interest. And one of the things he wrote was this piece of music that was uh, just a few notes played over and over again uh, on the piano. What was interesting about it is the tempo constantly changed. Hmm. And this is a big part of Reich's work where something sounds repetitive, but the longer you listen to it, you realize it's actually in a constant state of changing. He famously has a... um, piece of where microphones swing above speakers on the pendulum, you know, similar to what we had uh, in the uh, first part of the exhibit, where as the mic swings in front of the speaker, it will hum a note from the feedback. And then as it drifts away on the pendulum, uh, it is quiet again. But as those microphones keep swinging, their speed, their momentum is slowing down, and you suddenly have a piece of music that's constantly moving. His piano pieces are also so interesting like that because they almost sound like different songs, but it's the same notes over and over and Mm. over again, but you're hearing them have different relationships to each other because the speed is changing. And over the course of several minutes, you'll suddenly realize just how much the piece has changed, even though it is so repetitive. Interesting, huh? You know, this this had a... The the minimalist music stuff is very interesting because, you know, when whenever anyone attempts minimalism in whatever medium they want, you know, minimalism goes in and out of fashion, you know, depending on which aesthetic we associate with uh, wealth and power and which aesthetic we associate with the um with the noble working class, you know, and, right. and the, the pendulum again swings either which way, depending on what decade you're in the minimalists, you know, th- there's an impulse as, as soon as you start to develop some kind of sophistication, some sort of idea that you want to have refined taste, 
I feel like it's very much your first impulse to let's strip everything away and get down to the essentials uh, and start there. Mm. And minimalism, this is just my take, does something kind of interesting to what people's idea of originality is. Because with a lot of minimalist impulses, you have... I want to get rid of all this other stuff, all this this periphery, all this excess that's, you know, just associated with this and that, is a reference to this, a reference to that. I want to get down to the to the essentials and try to produce something original. Mm. And I always find when people try so hard to make something wholly original there it just highlights even more what their uh maybe cultural context is what their what their influences really are it's weird but i i feel like when you try really really hard to be super simplistic and original it just kind of further amplifies the things that you are uh clinging to Mm. Yeah. And minimalism had a couple of, you know, problematic issues in the early 20th century. There was, you know, again, all of these academies in Europe that, um, you know, wanted to believe in truth and justice and that there was some kind of pure music had, you know, sort of the streak in them that was like, well, we need to look at the music of the primitives all over Earth. You know, mm, like there was yeah. a primitivist strain in in the music where, or in sound art, where they were like, you know, it was cool to like show up and have, um, you know, w- wanting to demonstrate the music of some African tribe and, you know, presenting it as, something avant-garde because people just weren't familiar with it you know that right that was the type of stuff that would fly and you know a lot of it came from a genuine kind of pure interest but again also had this hierarchy to it where even if they liked it and appreciated it they were listening to it through some sort of guys that they um that they were the sophisticated um developed civilization trying to find something minimalist and pure uh at the at the primitive people who made some kind of more simple mm. uh music you know and and for for this reason and others minimalist music has fallen in and out of fashion um as you know people uh, appropriate uh art and artifacts from uh indigenous peoples all over the world without involving the makers of those things in in their globalized consumption right um and 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 that's that's a difficulty in talking about any of this stuff because i'm not someone that you know believes you should have to take 23 and me before you partake in art however i am also someone that wants to very critically look at you know when you are incorporating something from a background that you yourself are not a part of what gives you the privilege to do that when there are people that that originates with that 
suffer and cannot benefit from that. Mm. You know, this is this is the stuff we we want to look at. And, you know, there's artists that do this better than others. I think, you know, th- there's these um, there's a certain type of pop musician that uh, hits a certain point in their career where they're like, actually, you know what? I'm tired of pop. I want to do world music and uh for for this part of my career and you know that's you know that's that that that's a certain type of aging rock star that we know um, right and they yes. they seem to be having a good time at least yeah yeah that's very <laughs> um, true and, and you know i think i think it, it will involve a more diverse band maybe right um yeah but you know it is a it is a type of it is a type of guy that has an idea of i just want to get away from the commercialism man find something pure right uh and then they're still selling records and stuff yeah it's a type of person it's a type of person and you know it's 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 worth interrogating sometimes like what uh what we want to think of as quote-unquote pure uh, Mm. in in music you know if you are you are you actually trying to escape from something, you know, that uh, you feel like you don't fit into? Or are you just kind of looking for uh, another subculture or group that you can represent as the next cutting edge thing? Mm. Um, that's the that that's sort of the the conundrum of of people that, you know, you could maybe even count us in there sometimes as people that want to sample and appreciate things from a wide uh, spread of humanity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I, I think so as well. Um, I think, I think too, that that kind of summarizes a lot of what we're talking mm-hmm. about here in the, in the appreciation yeah. from music, but then also those, problematic yeah. and difficult things to interrogate but i do think it's through Absolutely. that examining that we get to it and can further these artistic practices with you know knowledge and respect going forward yeah. but um yeah i mean kind of a weird inverse to that is uh sun Ra, if you've ever heard of him i haven't so Sun Ra, um, that was his uh, his chosen name. He was born Herman Poole Blount, uh, and uh, one by at one point cho- uh, chose the name Sun Ra and preferred to be referred to that then on. He was born in uh, 1914. He was an uh, uh, African American musician, but was super involved in a lot of uh you know jazz and bebop but was um really really into kind of became a pioneer of afrofuturism in music interesting where you know they uh you know he's coming from a uh a marginalized community and wants to imagine uh an alternate reality where you know you're sort of they're unbothered they are left to pursue their art culture and technology you know um without uh colonization or the or uh the the american slave trade um you know that's Hmm. uh there's it's it's immensely fascinating because i mean first of all incredible musician like oh wow yeah like 
incredible, incredible, uh, improvisational, just free flowing, uh, music on piano or like, or keyboards or synthesizers, you know, uh, he put out a ton of music. And one of the things that he would do is he would sort of dress in like, uh, him and his band in like quasi ancient Egyptian, uh, outfits, you know? Okay. Give himself like, there's, there's a film of him, uh, acting and it's, it's it's very uh it's a it's a very interesting film but like you can see the material it's made of and it's kind of like it's like a halloween costume version of like uh the the tutankhamun like pharaoh gotcha, headdress. Gotcha. okay that makes sense. yeah and it's like it's a little silly it's a little campy <laughs> it's very right. serious like in oh. some, in some parts like the things that they're dealing with but also like there's parts of it that are just like kind of it's like this is a little silly right you know? <laughs> And, uh, you know, there's the, the, the thing to try and understand about it, like watching it now, cause I think it came out, the film came out in like the seventies. Okay. And, you know, first of all, you're like looking at that, that interpretation of ancient Egyptian culture where now we look at that and we're like, eh, that's a <laughs> weird kind of you know, making African history into a monolith centered on Egypt. Uh, the There's also, you know, an association in America of that with homophobia and misogyny. But, you know, looking at it, that he's, that it's coming from a real place of, for, for him, for Sun Ra, it's coming from a real place of pain and yearning for, uh, a, a sense of a sense of belonging and a sense mm. of uh ownership over himself his image and uh the 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 self-determination uh of of a people you know um and that's that's tremendously powerful i mean in the film he's like saying things that i think are i i think the best word i heard to describe it and and not in a condescending way was naive mm. where he's like he finds another planet like they travel to another planet and i mean he's just walking around a forest preserve somewhere right um, <laughs> but he's walking around um and he's like yeah yeah this is a good planet this is a this would be a good planet for us to uh and he talks like that too like he's doesn't have all his words thought out right like, right yeah, this would be a good place for the vibes the people <laughs> could be on the right vibration here on the mm. right vibrational level without all those white people messing up their vibrational energy and they'd feel the funky beats you know right and it's like and it's like it's kind of this very uh there's there's something like very sweet and campy about it and on the other hand he's like i the, the naive part to me is just like him thinking him proclaiming at least i i can't know if he i can't know his thoughts on all of these things but that if they adopt this kind of um 
in one sense, very whitewashed view of African history, if they embrace it, mm. that they can break away and form this self-sufficient culture that is untouched and uh, not tampered with. Right. And in a way, you can see the faults with that line of thinking, but you can also understand where he's coming from also, considering mm. the, the world he was born into. Um, versus this world that he's, you know, sort of pining for. And I think it's uh, it's an interesting example to show this this way that because music and sound art does all of these things, it makes us aware and also it makes us aware of the world around us. And still there is and still there are things we don't understand about it entirely things that sound artists are constantly bringing to our attention it that it makes us aware of so many contextualizations mm. of where a sound is coming from what does it mean to hear something in a certain way that I, that, that's why I've, I've just kind of like been so fascinated mm -hmm. with sound art recently. Yeah. It is a, uh, it, it opens up your, your ears. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and yeah. your heart. And your heart. And your heart. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this has been amazing. Thank you for organizing this and bringing and doing the research to bring this all up. It's really been fascinating and a pleasure to hear it. Um, you know, here context to a lot of the things that I've also been interested in and a lot of the artists that I really like and their works that mm -hmm. I like. So I, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's been great. It's really fascinating to me, but I definitely think, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, maybe we can open our, our ear heart, our heart, the heart <laughs> of ears. Well, the um, ear has a drum and a little weird go. snail looking organ. I forget what that's called. Um, right. But, and wax. And but wax. We, yes, yes. Open Keeps your on, ears, open your heart. Yes. Yes. Keeps well, on cooking. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, this has been a fun thing to get to talk about. And, you know, I, I think as people that are both interested in art and interested in sound, it, it works out for us. And for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't believe I made it this far without talking about Bruce Springsteen. Um, but <laughs> it's all about the little victories. There you go. That's true. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, um, do you have anything going on in the uh, in, in our world of uh, contemporary art and sound? Well, I have the my piece that well you're in, Zan, uh, oh. titled "The Dinner" <laughs> at the at <laughs> on display at the CSCA Museum in an exhibition titled "In Touch," which I think is going to December twelfth. Uh, so check out their website. I think there's some information there, but also if you're in South Korea, that's probably the best option to go see it. And I think I hope by this point. I should have one of my videos featured in an ex online exhibition titled uh, Audiovisual Frontiers. So check that out as well. There's some pretty cool stuff on there. Um, mm -hmm. But how about you, Zan? Oh, gosh. I have a show coming up on the 9th called Toys at the Studio Public House in St. Petersburg. And then on the 17th, uh, 
I'm in a show called Cosmos, put on by Coastal Creative, also in St. Petersburg. Hmm. And December 3rd through January 1st, uh, I will have a piece up at 311 Gallery in Raleigh, North Carolina. And that should be it for now. I guess see me in the upcoming uh, Joe Semino uh, artwork <laughs> as well. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy to get to see art like that come come to fruition i'm sure for you oh yeah it's been it's kind of wild especially since it's a work that i mean you know i didn't think it would go anywhere you know it's sat i sat on it for a year not really thinking Mm -hmm. about it It was not part of my main mfa work like later on it was it was you know considered at the time and then i made other things and it's just very it, it was a learning experience for sure of like don't discount things you make because they might right, have they right. might find their fit later on and and I realize now like how relevant it is to the work that I've been doing. So mm. it was one of the first video pieces that I made that was so long and very very carefully crafted out and planned and mm-hmm. organized with collaborators. So I think it was a <laughs> pleasure and it's a it's very interesting to see actually in a physical space and be like, you know, I wish I could be there, but it's still one day, right? It, it is one day. Yes. It's it's still amazing nonetheless. So mm-hmm, very happy. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. All right. Well, if you would like to visit the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Uh, if you want to find me, I am at Xanosaurus on Instagram. And I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Sam Peters. And I've been Josemino. Loop that back. Bye. Bye.